Good morning. That's loud. That's good. I like that. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Genders. This is Jay and Brett. Give it up for Jay and Brett. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. I think they called for the X. I didn't play football, but is that called a cross pattern? I'm not sure. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Genders. I'm one of the student pastors uh, here at Great Oaks, and we've been in a series called uh, Joy, the Book of Joy. Uh, we've been studying the Book of Philippians. We're in our seventh week. Um, we have one more week of that. Uh, Pastor Bill's going to be back next Sunday. He's going to wrap up uh, this series, and then we're going to launch a new uh, six-week series uh, starting in two weeks on that. Um, but I get the privilege of diving into Philippians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Um, we'll have some of the verses up on the screen, but I want you to have your Bibles open, maybe your app, you know, on, on version, uh, whatever, whatever you use that uh, for your scripture. Uh, go ahead and turn there. We're going to reference some things as we go. Uh, one of my favorite verses in all of the, the New Testament is actually found in this section that we're talking on this morning. It's Philippians 4 verse 7. And it says this, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, um, but I would love to experience the peace of God that transcends all understanding a little more often in my life, right? Uh, we all have these times where life just gets a little crazy, a little overwhelmed. I've been a worrier uh, most of my life. Actually, so much so that I had a passage about worry read in my wedding. Like, nobody chooses this verse, these passages for their wedding, right? Like, who talks about worry in their, in their wedding vows? Um, but I did, because I was just so obsessed with worry. Um, I worried all the time. I worried about finances. That was a big one. I didn't come from money, and so my family was poor, and, and I wanted to make sure that I could provide for my family. And so, you know, it's always been something I worry about and something I still battle even today. Um, I, I worry about the safety of my family. My wife will make fun of me. We'll be driving along somewhere, and I'm, I'm Mr. Chatterbox, right, because I talk all the time, and all of a sudden I'll get quiet, and she'll realize that I'm not talking, and that's weird, and she'll go, somebody's following us, aren't they? I'm like, yes! <laughs> they're back there! I'm like, I know they're following us, and maybe that's more paranoia than worry. I'm not really sure. Um, I worry about my future. Like, I, I've, I'm, I'm 42 years old, I'm going to be 43. I still worry about what I'm going to do when I grow up, right? Like, I don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up. Um, but I worry about a lot of things. And there are times where it goes a little farther than it should. There's times where, where I'm just overwhelmed relationally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Um, and, and so I, there, there's this picture I, I was reminded of. Um, this is from Ice Camp a few years back. And this picture, I feel like, is a good descriptor, visual descriptor, of how I feel at times, where life is just overwhelming, things are falling apart, they're breaking. I mean, the beard is awesome, right? Let's just be honest. Um, Joe, Shunk, you back there? Someday, man, when my wife lets me, um, it's, I'll bring it back, okay? All right, I got a thumbs up. I got students that want the beard. Karen doesn't want it. She says she'll kiss me more. She hasn't followed through on that agreement, I'm just saying. She's coming to second service. But there are times where my, my life looks like this. And I may not show it on the outside, but that's what it looks like on the inside. And I have a feeling for some of you, you can relate. You, 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 on the outside, in appearances, when somebody asks, hey, how you doing? Good, good, I'm good. And in reality, like, life's just falling apart, Right? You don't have that, that peace of God that surpasses all understanding. 
Now, I'm not going to try and tell you that, that my job is tougher than your job. I'm not going to say that every job is unique, every job is different. But, but maybe to unpack a little bit, in addition to all the glamorous and glorious things that you see us pastors do, we also get invited into some really dark places. We get invited into some of the most painful moments in your lives. And we carry that burden. When, when we get up here on stage, whether it's a Sunday morning or Wednesday night or children's ministry or, or whenever it is, whenever we interact with, with you as a church body, um, we see the church body, but we also see divorce. We see affairs. We see addictions. We see loss. We see pain. Like when we look out there and we see that in the crowd and we carry that pain. When you hurt, we hurt. Uh, it's called compassion fatigue. And, and it's only starting in the last probably 10 years, 15 years, that, that pastors have been identified as having that same level of compassion fatigue as first responders and, and nurses and doctors and counselors and all these people because we get so overwhelmed all the time. We don't know what to do with all that. So there was a moment a few years ago, and some of you have heard me talk about this, uh, back in the fall of 2014 where I just hit a wall. Like I was done. Like it was ministry overload and just tons of stuff happening demanding a lot of my time and my energy. I, I'd lost three father figures in 18 months. Very, three men who were very near and dear to me all died in 18 months. I, I, I just went in some dark places that I'd never been before. Dealing with some things here at church I'd never dealt with before. And, and, and here's, here's how I knew I was in a bad place. I got a phone call one day on my cell phone. It was a person in the church. She still goes to church here. Um, she called me and she said, hey, just want to let you know, um, there was a 20-year-old in our community that committed suicide. And I said all the right things. I said what I was supposed to say. I was a pastor to her in the moment. But if I'm honest, in my head, in that moment, I was in a dark place, I went, so what? Big deal. Just another kid. Another kid took his own life. Going to happen in a couple months. Going to do it again. Right? And I, and I hung up on the phone. And I, I thankfully realized in the moment that that was not the right response. And that I needed help. And so I began to, to open up about what was happening in my head and in my heart. I began to try and make some changes. And, and they didn't happen overnight. In fact, that was in the fall of 2014. In January of 2016, I, I tracked down a guy that, that specializes in burnout and overload and, and Sabbath rest. He'd been in ministry for his entire uh, uh, professional career, and he, he'd gone through it, and he specialized in it now. So I went, and I met with him for like two and a half hours, and we talked through everything. He gave me this self-assessment to do. This is a guy that has studied all this stuff and, and knows the, the top-of-the-line assessments to give somebody to figure out where they're at. And he said, go home. He said, take some time, pray over this, complete this assessment. Text me back, let me know what your score was. I, I do the assessment, I take it, and <laughs> I get to the results, and it was like, drop everything you're doing and seek professional medical and psychological help. I was like, whoa. And I gave it to my wife to fill out. I didn't tell her what my scores were. I gave it to Karen to fill out, and she actually scored me higher than that. Like, more help was needed. I'm like, man, like, I am not in a good place. I looked like that picture. I was in desperate need of the peace of God that transcends all understanding. And the reality is, is we all go through moments like these, maybe not as deep and as dark as what I've just described, but we all go through painful moments. We all go through dark times in life when we need the peace and the presence of God in ways that we can't explain. 
in ways that overwhelm us and, and draw us back into his presence. So as we pick up in our text here in Philippians chapter 4, I, I think we find the Apostle Paul kind of in this, this perfect place, this perfect opportunity for one of those overwhelming moments in life. Remember the context. Remember that, that Paul is in prison. He's chained to a guard, maybe 24-7. We don't really know, but he's, he's under house arrest. He can't go anywhere. His freedoms are limited. He's waiting to find out whether he's going to live or die. Waiting to find out, am I going to be released and go back to what I was called to do, or am I going to be executed for my faith? This was hanging over his head, literally. And so as he writes this letter to the church in Philippi, he could be in that place of just like, man, like things are horrible, things are going on, and, and yeah, that's not what he writes. He writes over and over and over, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. So we pick up here in Philippians chapter 4, um, the section heading is I, in my scripture, or my Bible says, uh, final exhortations. It's his, it, possibly his final words. He doesn't know. Am I going to be executed from my faith? It may be the last time he ever writes to these beloved friends of his in the church in Philippi. So he wants to, to give these final words of wisdom, encouragement, advice. And think about your, your life. You know, maybe you've had a moment where you, you had to say goodbye to a close friend or a situation or you left a job or, or moved away from some close friends or family and you had that one final conversation like, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? I remember when I left my last church, uh, I had a couple really close friends on staff and uh, one of them, his name was Steve and Steve and I had worked together for a number of years. Nate, you know Steve. Uh, we'd worked together for a number of years and, and we had done a lot of life together. And, and my final Sunday there, after resigning and everything and, like, all that stuff, um, final Sunday there, like, we kept passing each other on, on, in the hallways at church and in, the, you know, auditorium and all that kind of stuff. And we'd, like, make eye contact with each other. Like, nope, can't talk right now. Like, I'm just going to melt down. Like, this is not going to be good if we try and talk right now. And, and finally, like, after almost everybody else was gone, Steve and I sat down. And we talked for, like, an hour and a half. Just these final words. And, and granted, I was only moving two and a half hours away, right? But things were changing. We weren't going to be together all the time anymore. And we had these, these final words of just love and support and encouragement for each other. And so we see Paul here in this same place where he's got these final words uh, to his friends at the church at Philippi. As we pick up in Philippians chapter, two, or chapter 4, uh, verses 2 through 9. It says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Crazy. Paul is in prison, waiting to find out if he's going to die. And he says, rejoice. And he says, let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Have you ever been robbed? I know that's a hard left turn from this passage, right? And you're like, what? What are you talking about? Bear with me. Have you ever been robbed? Like, I've, I've, never, I've never been robbed, you know, at gunpoint or knife point or anything like that. Um, I've, I've had friends that have been. It's kind of crazy stories. But I, I've had my identity stolen. 
Uh, many of you probably have had the same thing, right? Um, I remember uh, years ago, I went on a whitewater rafting trip with uh, some friends, and we went down to West Virginia and had a great time in the Golly River and the New River, phenomenal rivers if you ever look for whitewater rafting. And uh, a couple weeks later, I, I get home, you're, I'm home, a couple weeks later, and the phone rings. And it's my credit card company. And they're like, hey, we, we had a charge that we think is a little suspicious. We just want to know, did you, did you just spend, are you trying to buy $1,200 worth of something at Walmart? I'm like, no. And I'm like, no, definitely not me. Well, is your wife? I'm like, she better not be. I'm like, no. And um, they're like, well, okay, we, we were kind of suspicious, so we put a hole on it. And I said, by the way, just out of curiosity, like, can you tell me what Walmart it is? And they're like, yeah, it's in, it's in Fayetteville, West Virginia. I'm like, I was just whitewater rafting in Fayetteville, West Virginia. And the only place I used my card was this, like, restaurant that we stopped at. It was the only time I used my credit card. I'm like, ding, ding, ding. I called the manager. I'm like, hey, check, check with your employees, right? Have you ever been robbed? Karen had her identity stolen as well. We got a bill one day from Verizon for, like, $800. We have AT&T. I'm like, why is Verizon billing me? And so we call Verizon, they're like, well, you opened up a whole new account and four new lines and bought phones. And I'm like, no, we didn't. And so we had to go through this whole process, you know. Have you ever been robbed, like, that feeling of somebody's taking something from you? I think in this passage, we see some things, some common elements that Paul identifies that are, are what I'm going to call uh, robbers of peace. Uh, the first one is, is conflict. I asked you guys to, to put some uh, blessing, some things you're thankful for up here on the board, and I thank you guys for that. Um, I think we have more that we can be thankful for, by the way. I'm looking at the number of people and the number of cards, and if I, if I had more time, I'd let you do that. But um, conflict, right, is a robber of peace. Uh, look at the passage here in Philippians 4. Uh, it says in verse 2, I plead with Yodi and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, which, uh, by the way, most um, theologians' commentaries uh, say this is probably Epaphroditus, which we talked about a few weeks ago. He's saying this too. He's like, my true companion, Epaphroditus. Help these two women. Help them since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Now, we don't know a lot about Yodi and Syntyche, but we know that they're women. We can start there, right? And we know they're in conflict. Um, anybody know women that fight? I'll leave that alone. Um, <laughs> possibly they're house leaders. Uh, they're church leaders. That's a whole other sermon for another day, women in leadership. Um, but we know that something was going on that Paul in Rome, Ephesus, Caesarea Philippi, wherever he is in prison, hears about it and says, hey, in the midst of all of these blessings of what's happening in the church in Philippi, there's conflict. And church, you need to help these two women resolve it. Now, when you are in any sort of personal relationship with other human beings, you have potential for conflict, Right? I mean, if you've been married longer than five seconds, you know you have possibility of conflict. If you've worked anywhere, you know there's possibility of conflict. If you are neighbors with anybody, you know there's possibility of conflict, right? I won't even go into some, you never mind. Um, sorry, I'm thinking of a sign that one of my neighbors put up recently. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, believe it or not, in the church, we have conflict. I know, I know, right? But we're humans. And we, we have times where we disagree. We have times where, where we argue over things, where we come to, to heads over things. And, and you know, honestly, I'm going I'm to pull back the curtain on Chris Genders. I have been on the receiving end of conflict, and I know this is hard to believe, I've been on the causing end of conflict. Um, I, I, I'm one of those guys, like, I, I don't embrace conflict, but I don't run from it. 
Okay, so we did these disc profiles recently. Um, Greg Edwards is our leadership team member has had the pastors go through disc profiles just in an effort to help us understand each other and how to work better together and what our strengths and weaknesses are and all this stuff. I'll read you my, some of my disc profile. I highlighted it here. Uh, Chris, you're probably very active and push yourself to reach ambitious goals. I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I can see that. Marathons, triathlons, all, you know, all that kind of stuff. You like to maintain a fast pace, maybe except for when I run. I'm not a fast runner. You have little patience for things that stand in the way of progress. Um, you tend to be bold and adventurous. You embrace the unexpected and like being spontaneous. You're open to taking risks. Hey, these are all great things. And then you get to these paragraphs. And you're like, ah. When conflict arises, you probably approach it proactively and attempt to resolve it quickly. That sounds very positive. Like, hey, let's, we got conflict. Let's resolve it, right? However... I don't like these words. When put under a great deal of pressure, you may become combative or belligerent, lashing out at others with little concern for their consequences. While unleashing your anger may seem, th- may seem cathartic, you may underestimate the impact that this intensity can have on others. And all my coworkers and probably some leadership team members are like, can I get an amen? <laughs> right? This, oh man. This thing, if I could, I don't like some of that stuff. But let's be honest, we all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. Whether it's in the church, whether it's in your marriages, in your neighborhood, in your your workplace, in your friendships, there's going to be times where we experience conflict that tries to rob us of the peace of God. I think there's, there's other robbers of our peace as well that Paul identifies That's not going to stick. Anxiety and worry. Look in Philippians again. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always? Seriously, Paul? Do you have any idea what I'm going through? I mean, do you know about my job situation, Paul? Do you know my kids being an idiot, Paul? Do you know that my retirement fund is coming up really short? Paul, come on, man. My house isn't selling as quickly as I would like it to. I'm flunking my classes, Paul. What, how am I going to come? What am I going to do for spring break? I have no idea, right? And do you know how much debt I'm going to be in when I graduate college? Paul, you have no idea. You're telling me to rejoice. You don't know what I'm going through. And Paul just over there holding up his arms with his chains on, going, hey, I'm in prison. I don't know if I'm going to live or die. I'm saying rejoice. Maybe you should rejoice as well. The word anxious in Greek is the word merimnao. It means to be pulled in different directions. And when we're anxious about something, aren't we being constantly pulled in one direction or another? Is this going to happen or is this going to happen? What about this? If I decide this, then that will happen. If I decide that, then this will happen. Uh, the same Greek word is often translated as worry. And, and Matthew 6.28 is one of those verses I had read in my wedding. Again, who does this in their wedding? Um, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? I'm not sure what my in-laws were thinking at that moment. Who is, my, who is my daughter marrying? But the word worry uh, comes from the old English root from which we, we get our word worry literally means to strangle. It has this very physical connotation to it. 
Think about the physical symptoms you experience when, when you're anxious, when you worry. I don't know about you guys, but for me, it's, it's elevated heart rate. It's sweating. My stomach gets in knots. I get migraines. I have sleepless nights. I'm an emotional eater. Like, I eat junk food when I get upset, right? So then I packed on 70 pounds after I blew my knee out, and I was worrying all the time, right? When I resigned from my last church, it was one of the, aside from burnout a couple years ago, it was one of the, the, the darkest places I'd ever been in, where I was just in knots all the time. Like, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't talk to people. Like, I, I went literally sleepless nights, like laying in bed for hours, not falling asleep a single moment, and then having to go to work the next day and trying to do all this stuff. And I was so anxious. I was worrying all the time. And some of you are there. Some of you are there in this moment right now today. And this, this anxiety and this worry is robbing you of the peace of God that Paul is talking about here. I think in addition to, to our conflict and anxiety and worry, I think we've talked around this already, so I'm not going to belabor this point, but I think our, our circumstances oftentimes rob us of the peace of God. Whether it be a, about our finances or our future, our family, or our health, whatever, whatever. I mean, again, we've talked around this already, but I, I wanted to put it up there to distinguish a little bit that, that sometimes it's our circumstances. Maybe things that, that we've intentionally gone into, made decisions about, maybe some things that, that have been done to us, but there, our circumstances can sometimes rob us of the peace of God. And here's what's happened. Here's what happens. At least this is what happens in my world, my life, right? When I'm in these moments like this, I put those a little low, right? When I'm in these moments like this, I get so focused on these things, right, that I don't see any of this. I don't, I don't, I don't look at any of these things. All I can focus in on is these giant red things of conflict, anxiety, and worry, and circumstances. And I don't look at all of these blessings. Thankful for our health and family. My parents, my small group. Amazing grace, beautiful weather. I'm thankful for my mom always being there for me and the blessings God has given me. Peace and comfort during the loss of my daughter. Freedom to worship God openly. My little brother. We need more of that. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. The saving power of Jesus Christ. Knowing I'll see him and my loved ones again someday. When I begin to to take my eyes off of these, everything about me starts to change. And yet these are so powerful and they're so big in our world that they draw our eyes back time and time and time again. And yet Paul here says, listen, in contrast to all of that, let's, let's overwhelm that with the peace of God. And let's dial in on that. Let's look at what God has to say about your circumstances, what God has to say about your worry and your anxiety and your conflict you're going through. 
Let's begin to, to allow God, the peace of God that passes all understanding, to overwhelm all of these negative things. Not to take them away, maybe, but to put them in the right perspective. So we begin to, to look at, at God instead of our, our negative issues. We begin to look at the blessings that God has given us. And he says here in Philippians, he, he kind of gives us some, some aspects here, some what I'm going to call restorers of peace. He says... Uh, Let's have some right relationships. Need some right living. Right thinking. Right praying. He says, let's let's start pursuing those things. And when we do, we're going to discover the peace of God. Right relationships. Have the tough conversations. And the Bible over and over and over says, if you are in disagreement with a brother or sister in Christ, go to that person. It's actually more important that you restore that relationship than you worship God and give your offerings on Sunday mornings. Like it, Scripture says, when you're sitting in church and you look across the room and you see somebody, Nate Lee, I'm going to pick on you, right? And, and Nate Lee, like I have done something to offend Nate Lee. And I'm sitting in church and I'm like, oh, I don't care about Nate. Like I'm, me and God are good. We're good. I'm going to worship. Oh, hallelujah. Here's my offering. Good scripture. Nate's a jerk. <laughs> Actually, I'm the jerk because I'm the one that offended Nate. Scripture says that if that happens, I'm supposed to drop what I'm doing, go to Nate, restore that relationship. Because God says if you can't restore these relationships, if you don't care about the horizontal relationships, then you don't understand this relationship. Uh, ask for forgiveness, extend forgiveness. Uh, right praying, like uh, start praying for things, start, start putting things in the right perspective. It's amazing uh, what happens when you pray, right? Your whole perspective on, on all of these negative things starts to change. In the middle of the you know, fight with your spouse, the next time you guys have a fight, just stop and say, hey, can we pray? And you're, you're oh. Like, first of all, whoever suggests it, oh. Because mm. you know that's going to change things. You're like, oh, seriously? Next time you're in conflict with coworkers or neighbors, maybe, maybe start praying for them. I'll talk about that here in a minute. Right thinking. Paul goes on and he says, whatever is, is right, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about such things. Romans 12 says that we are, are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Again, it's so easy to dial in on all of these things, and these become so overwhelming. They overwhelm our thoughts, and we just spend hours and hours and hours thinking on these things. And God is saying, you know what? Start thinking about other things. And, and your, your mind will begin to shift, and your, your heart will follow. And he says, right living. Paul advises us. He says, hey, whatever you've seen in me, whatever you've learned from me, whatever, whatever you've, you've observed in my life, do those things. Again, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. Paul followed Jesus, we follow Paul, and as a result, we follow Jesus. Find spiritual mentors in your life, men and women who are older than you and, and seasoned a little farther down the, the Christian walk than you, and learn from them, model them, emulate them. You want a better marriage? Find somebody that's got a great marriage and say, hey, can you, you show me how you do this? You, you got a great whatever. Find somebody that's, that's succeeding in that and go after them and learn from them what it means. And if we do these things, if we, we pursue right relationships, we pursue right thinking and right praying and right living, uh, 
peace of God is most likely there to follow. But I'll warn you, the enemy knows. The spiritual warfare is real. And you'll start making progress. And all of a sudden, the enemy's going to come in and attack. Satan's going to come in and say, no, no, come on. You can't really. Nate, you and Nate, nope. You guys are going to fight the rest of your lives, right? That situation at, at work or at home or in the neighborhood, man, that's never, that person, that person's never going to change. You're going to hear that voice. That's not God's voice. That's Satan's voice. And we have a choice in that moment, right thinking. Do we listen to the voice of God? Do we listen to the voice of Satan? So how did, how did I come out of my burnout? Well, i got to be honest, I'm still not completely out of it. I, from what I understand, when you go through burnout, there's still a little residue. It's like uh, when you climb a, a pine tree and you get that pine you know, sap on you, right? Stuff's almost impossible to get off, right? Burnout is like that. There's always going to be a little bit of residue on me. But, it, but dramatically different. I began to, to change my perspective on the people around me. I, I gained a greater level of, of appreciation for who they are and, and what they're going through. To know that they were going through a battle and a challenge as well. And who am I to think that I'm the only one going through something challenging, right? I, I began to, to pray for them. This is very important. Just write this down, tweet it, put it on Facebook, Instagram, whatever you want to do, right? I began to pray for them rather than about them. God, would you change Nate? <sighs> Seriously. That guy. I'm Nate, I'm totally, I got nothing with Nate, by the way. He is an incredible young man. So just make sure we all understand that, right? But I'm using you as an example. Would you change him, God? Like, he, is just, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. Why is he doing this? Like, does he understand what he's doing to me? I was going through that for a long time, burnout. And I made a decision, a switch. And I said, God, would you, would you be with Nate? Would you bless him? Would you encourage him? Would you, would you make his life more like your son Jesus? Would, would you just do incredible things in his world? And your perspective changes when you start praying for somebody rather than about somebody. I began to ask myself if I really trusted God. That was a hard one. I'm a pastor. Of course I trust God, right? I'm a human pastor. And I had to be honest, like there's times where I didn't trust God and I was trying to take over control. I began to, to focus on the incredible blessings in my life. All of these white postcards rather than on these things that maybe I didn't have. I began to get back into the practice of, of regular spiritual disciplines. Sabbath rest, taking a day off. Crazy concept. It's only one of the Ten Commandments, right? I haven't murdered anybody lately. You know, I don't steal my neighbor's donkey. Um, but by golly, I work, you know, seven days a week without rest, without sitting to contemplate what God's doing in my world. I was violating one of his prime commandments. So pursuing Sabbath rest getting back into scripture reading and, and reading through the Bible in a year with friends, getting into soul care, and, and, and honestly, getting into soul care without feeling guilty, doing those things that, that bring nourishment and replenishment back to my soul, uh, getting out in the wilderness, going for a hike, a bike ride, hanging out with friends, reading a book, going to the movies. I'm, I'm going to movies by myself the other day. That's weird, right? But it was incredibly encouraging to my soul because it just allowed me to let everything go for a couple hours. 
began to, to reduce the workload. Brandon, thanks. <laughs> um, began to restore relationships with very specific individuals. But it was all hard work. Because I, I feel like it's easy. This, this is easy. I can sit in that all day long. Right? It's not hard to stay there. The hard part's moving past it. The hard part's doing all this. But if we do that, I gotta believe that you're gonna experience the peace of God that passes all understanding. We're gonna sing a song here. I just wanna invite you guys to sit in your chairs and you can sing with us if you want. More importantly, I'd rather have you pray. We want to give you some time. Think through these things. Are there any relationships? Are there any Nates in your world? Is there any relationships you need to restore? Maybe they're in this room. Maybe they're outside this, this building. Are there, are there blessings in your life that you need to take some time to thank God for? Maybe some things in your world that you've just taken for granted. Do you need to, to shift your perspective on some things? Have you been worried about the things of this earth rather than the things of heaven? Are there any negative habits or hang-ups you're struggling with? Do you need to spend time just confessing sin to God? We want to invite you to use this time for that. As we sing, just pray. I invite you to do that. Greg, can I borrow you for a second?